Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Queued Up, a review podcast tied to streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, what have you. I'm your host, Greg Dietz, and with me always is Maya Don Fisher. Normally, this is where we'd ask each other how our week's been, but um, there are people that are hurting worse right now, a lot worse. Uh, we tend to try to keep the show free of terrible news, um, but we have an obligation to say something. Uh, mass shootings are becoming such a commonality in the U.S. that they barely phase us these days. Uh, every time one happens, I personally feel empty inside because I feel helpless. And I honestly suspect that a lot of you feel the same way. You don't have the power to change laws. You don't have the power to stop these people from committing these heinous fucking crimes. And every time I see one, I know that that's what goes through my mind. And it's upsetting and depressing. Um, that's why every week... Maya and I will be promoting another way, a different way, or maybe even the same way to help where you can. Um, I'm going to pass it off to Maya in a second here. Um, but I need you guys to understand. When I say every week, I literally mean every single episode. We will have another way, a different way, or the same way for you to help. We will continue to talk about this and other issues every week. We will remind you to vote. We will remind you to think critically when talking about any issue. Not just thinking, but thinking critically. We have this obligation to help others. And when I say we, I mean all of us. Not just Maya and I with the podcast. Not just other content creators. Everybody. And I'm going to pass it to Maya because she has a list of ways that you can help with the current tragedy. Uh, yeah. The current tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, that uh, so far has claimed the lives of 19 children, third and fourth grade age children, and two adults who were teachers. Um, I'm not sure if there's more that are hospitalized and in critical condition. 21. Okay. So there are 21 more. I'll put it this way. Out of those 21, the number of deaths should could rise. Probably will. Yeah. And it's absolutely a, a, abysmal, abhorrent, fucking just awful. And I've posted some things on my social media of a list of every school shooting since the 90s. And that list is... Too long. Too, too long. And the next onion? week, I'm sure, no. No, no, no. As I say, The Onion. No, I wasn't oh, asking yeah. if it was Onion. The Onion has uh, uh, put out every article that they've ever written in regards to this, and it has the exact same headline. And somebody noticed that they've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been going on. Columbine wasn't even the first one. No. Columbine was the second one. Yeah. So... That's been back in the 90s, and it's ridiculous. And I'm sure at the current trend, the way things are going, there will be another one within the next, by the time we record again. Yeah. Yep. I mean, this was eight days removed from the horrible shooting in Buffalo in the grocery store. The, where The biggest issue, Maya, is that there's literally a shooting of arguably maths quality quantity, sorry, 
every day. Literally yeah. every day in the United States. Yeah. It's it's sad. So and speaking about the Evalde tragedy, how you can help. Donate blood. Um you know, the University Health System, which is the largest transfuser of blood in the San Antonio area, is encouraging community members to donate blood to hospitals and centers. Um, South Texas Blood and Tissue, uh, they're able to send 15 units of blood to the school and local hospitals immediately after the shooting and another 10 to area hospitals later in the day, later on, later in that day. That's still not enough. So if you live in the area of Uvalde, or if you live in an area where another tragedy like this has occurred, that's one of the first things you can do is to donate blood. Um, another thing that you can do to help is find and support verified fundraisers. Uh, GoFundMe. Verified part is really important. Yes, they must be verified. GoFundMe's established an online online hub of verified fundraisers supporting victims and loved ones affected by the shooting. We'll put the link to that down below in the notes. It's going to be the first link you see. Um, those include fundraisers organized by Victims First, which is a network of survivors and relatives affected by previous mass shootings, to provide victims' family members with no-strings-attached cash payments to help them with unfortunately funeral expenses uh medical expenses for survivors um and that can include you know fucking therapy bills because these people are going to have trauma for the rest of their lives dealing with this shit oh yeah it's fucking senseless the worst part about this is that uh, kids and teachers across the country are going to have trauma from this, and they weren't even in the same state. No, exactly. You know, um, it's upsetting. It's genuinely some of the most upsetting shit ever. Um, my daughter's my daughter's virtual academy, and her last day of school was yesterday. And all I could think of was, what if she wasn't virtual? I'm a lucky parent. I'm an extremely fortunate parent. There were 19 sets of parents plus that weren't so fortunate yesterday. You know, I can't imagine how they're feeling. 19 that their lives are changed forever. Mm hmm. And did you did you hear about way. the one one of the worst things about that situation? By the way, you okay? What's that yeah, I'm just, I'm just. Um, ice showed up to the schools to the school itself. There were parents who were afraid to figure to, to go and find out if their child was safe because they thought they might be deported by ice. Fuck ICE. Abolish ICE. It does nothing for this fucking country. It's... The whole situation is awful. Uh, There's there's nothing good about it. No, no, nothing. And every, every week when we record, 
we'll talk about what's going on. We'll talk about ways that you can help. And another thing that you can do is volunteer legal services in the community if you live in that community where a tragedy like Uvalde has happened, where a mass shooting has happened. Volunteer legal services because there are so many victims. And I genuinely wonder if you're allowed to sue politicians who have promoted and pushed for less gun reform. Well, I know quite a few that should be on that list. Fuck you, Ted Cruz. Fuck you, Greg Abbott. Fuck you, Lauren Taylor Boebert. Fuck you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Fuck you, anybody who has voted against uh, gun reform. Fuck you for voting against and holding up the vote on universal background checks for the past two fucking years that passed in the House, Mitch McConnell. Fuck you, you turtle-looking fuck. Mm-hmm. Fuck all of you fucking Fuck NRA GOP, fucking dude. worshippers. I'm sick and tired of this shit. I'm sick and tired of this shit. Mm-hmm. Same here. And, you know, and, and, and it happens. There's no pattern. There's no rhyme or reason. It happens randomly anywhere and everywhere. And it's like always in the back of your mind. Like, oh, I'm going to go to a movie today. I'm going to go catch a movie. I want to go watch this. And yet, it's in the back of your mind. There could be some nutcase with an AR-15 up under a fucking coat in here. You know? Uh, or just enjoying a day at a park. You know, something could happen. It's ridiculous. It's re- reality we live in, in the United States, that no other country has to live in because they have figured it out. But we have yeah. people in this country who would rather take money from the NRA, an arguably terrorist, terrorist organization, instead of actually helping its citizens. Money fucking reigns supreme. Money is the root of all evil in this fucking country. Like, the list goes on and on and on, people. If you live in America, you know what, you know what we're talking about. You know what, what the reality that we live in. And... Like I said, Maya and I feel personally like we have an obligation to talk about it every week. Granted, I know we talk about streaming shows on this podcast. We, 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 we review shows and say whether they're worth your time or not. You know what is worth your time? Helping others. Helping others go through things. Helping others, um, other human beings uh, with anything in their life. That's worth your time. And uh, I'm going to be honest. If you don't want us to talk about it, find another podcast to listen to. That's as simple as it gets. Like, we're not done. So we we are going to be reviewing a couple things today. um, But we needed to say that at the top of the show. We needed to let you know how we feel about the situation and what you can do to help if you feel the same. So any, any other thoughts, Maya, before we move on? Uh, yeah, one, one or two, Go ahead. you know, every time there's a mass shooting in the United States, one of the things that gets circulated a lot online is Jim Jeffries, gun control skit that he did 
from his stand-up bit. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> at the time it was recorded, there hadn't been another mass shooting in Australia since. But there has been one since then, but only one in like 30 fucking years. Why? Because of legislation to ban certain types of weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine is from Scotland. And she was in high school when, in 1996, the mass shooter fucking busted in and killed 16 kids and a teacher during their gym class. She posted about it this morning. You know what the fucking UK did? Because Scotland is part of the UK. They said, all right, no more guns. You don't get to have assault weapons. You don't get to have semi-automatic handguns. You don't get to have handguns, period. Guess how many mass shootings there have been in the UK since then? Zero. Zero. Japan has the same population as the United States and covering the landmass of California. They have super strict gun laws. Guess what? How many mass shootings do they have a year? Zero. It's not a mental health problem. They need to stop using that fucking argument and saying it's a mental health problem. We are outnumbered by India, by China, by Russia in population. And how many mass shootings do you hear about in those places like we do? We've got more mass shootings and it's blamed on mental health. Yeah, mental health's a part of it. It's not the only argument against gun regulation. That's the, every, wanna... I'm sick and tired of hearing, oh, well, it's because these people can't get the help they need. No, that's you're partly right. It is. But it's easier to get a fucking gun than it is baby formula. He literally, this guy, literally turned 18 and went and bought two assault rifles and then shot up to school two days later. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, that's yet, Texas, but still a problem. Oh, it's absolutely a problem. You know, there's no again accountability from the weapons sellers. No, there's no accountability no. from the fucking manufacturers. There's no accountability from the politicians in the pocket of the NRA. And no, nothing's going to change unless we fight back. I have said a thousand votes. times, Maya, how many, how many people, like, where's the number? Where does the number stop where we finally do something as a nation? Like, what's, what's that number? I want to know how many people, how many more people, how many more children have to die for people to, to be a little bit more serious when it comes to, and I say a little bit, because I don't expect fucking much from Americans at this point. No, no, I don't expect this to cause any real change. No, I, I like I said, our obligation, Maya, is to try to convince our listeners to help, to do the right thing. That's that's my only hope. But contact your representatives, tell them that you want stricter gun laws, that you want change, that you want policy in place. Thoughts and prayers don't do a goddamn thing. No, they make you feel better, and that's it. <sighs> Um, we, we should, we should move on. It's, (laughs) this is extremely upsetting and, uh, we have a lot to review today. 
oddly enough, one very poignant thing. Um, so again, uh, the links will be down below for all the ways that you can help, all the places that you can help. Um, and uh, I guess we'll see when we talk about this next week because we ain't shutting the fuck up, period. Um, all right. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, well, I don't know how to segue out of this. Good Lord. Um, didn't think that through. Doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter because you know who would have had something to say about this? There you go. If he were still here today, oh, George yeah. Carlin. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's every time, every single time that we have a tragedy of this magnitude occur in this country, and we have some fuck, fucking twat waffle like Lauren Taylor Bobert or Marjorie or, or Lauren Bobert or Marjorie Taylor Green. I mean, you can combine them. They're the same fucking. Yeah, they're they're the same fucking vacuous wake of fucking ineptitude in space. Uh, it's just ugh. like I wonder what Carl would say about them, about and you know, it would be. Just he would just eviscerate them Absolutely. with his words. Well, and that's that's something like so. What we're talking about right now is on HBO Max. You can find a documentary, two part documentary. It's about what a little under four hours long. Yeah, about um, three and a half, almost four hours long. Yeah, uh, called it came George out Carlin. Friday. Yeah, I didn't even know about it. Um, it's called George Car- George Carlin's American Dream, and it chronicles the first half chronicles his life. Uh, and the second half chronicles his arguably best work in the late years of his life. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. It's basically, I mean, the whole thing covers his life from beginning to end, but the first right. half was basically his life up to the 80s. Right. Life and career up to the start of the 80s. And then the last, the second part was the late 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. The stuff I saw, which was uh, his best I, work. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I knew, I know that I've seen some of his like 50s, 60s, 70s uh, uh, content, like his stand-up bits. But um, to me, it was very, it was very much like watching because uh, I think um, uh, John Stewart said it best that he is the Beatles of stand-up comedy. Um, Absolutely. And his early stuff is very boy band Beatles era. Uh, it's like he came in doing love me do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, then it gets a little more serious and then he gets into, you know, the come together and then fucking goes full on helter skelter. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Carlin's always been a favorite of mine. He so watching, I was legit upset when he passed away. Oh, I cried. Yeah, I, I Misty and I both. Um, we adore Carlin, and the things he was talking about in the late eighties, the early nineties, the late nineties, early two thousands, up until the time of his death is more relevant now 
than it was then. That's the thing about Carlin that's absolutely fucking wild to me is that almost every single HBO special he had in the 90s and the early 2000s, you could you could watch now. You could watch at any point. They're timeless. They legit become full-on timeless. You can replace, if he talks about a politician, you can replace the name. Yeah. Plug in the, you know, take out name A and plug in name B. Should we say name A? Shouldn't we say twat A and twat B? Yeah, yeah, that works. Uh, uh, cunt hole A, uh, turd, turd sandwich slash waffle B. I don't know. They all fucking suck. I did see a different stand-up comedy, a stand-up comedian on TikTok that made me laugh. He goes, he goes, uh, uh, you know who sucked the fun out of hating Joe Biden? Trump supporters. And he goes, he goes, he goes, I'd sit there and be like, fuck Joe Biden. And then they'd be like, fuck Joe Biden. And he'd be like, mm, not like that, though. When you say it, it sounds gross. <laughs> yeah. And I 100% agree with that. Um, sorry, you were talking about stand-up comedy. It reminded me of that. But uh... One thing that I learned in this documentary that I didn't know about is George Carlin was in the audience when Lenny Bruce got arrested for yeah. saying shit oh, yeah. during a bit and George Carlin stood up and you know protested Lenny getting arrested and got arrested himself in solidarity and here the two of them are riding in the back of a car I didn't know that Carlin that happened with Carlin I didn't know that uh when I found that out god how old was I because I was reading about Lenny Bruce because there was this whole thing that I was talking with somebody about about how uh, comedians have always kind of like been the outcast of society in a way. And uh, so I started looking at Lenny Bruce because he was a, he was a, like, that's why I'm so excited that he was in the Marvelous Miss Maisel. He is one of the, one of like the greatest of all time. If there's a Mount Rushmore of stand up comics, he is on that for sure. Um, but uh, it's like him, Joan all Rivers, right, right. George Carlin. And Richard Pryor. Ooh. Anyway. Uh. Ooh. See, that's the thing. What about Red Fox? See, uh, I don't... Uh, oh. I think he gets a statue. <laughs> if if you had five. Fox, if you could put five instead of four, if you could put five, I would have to put Red Fox up there with those other four. That's fair. That's fair. Uh... A lot but, of people but if it, wouldn't but put if Joan it were Rivers just up there, which is wild to me. Oh, for female comics, she's she's she was amazing. Oh, was it, yeah, for for female stand-up comics, she was a trailblazer. Yeah, absolutely. She was the equivalent to what Lenny Bruce and later George Carlin were for female comics. Yeah. And oh, she was funny as hell. And, oh gosh, her shit's also timeless. Like, not to get too distracted by that, but uh, she, she's she's fucking hilarious. Um, I'll say the thing I didn't know about uh, George Carlin's life in this documentary was that his wife was an alcoholic. Did not know that. No, I didn't either. I was I was legit. I was like, whoa, oh shit. Uh. 
like the personal life stuff was a lot. A lot of that was like, I didn't, I knew he had a cocaine problem for, I've known that for a long time, but. Uh, well, I mean, if you worked in any capacity at Hollywood in the seventies and eighties, you had a cocaine problem. Drew Barrymore had one at the age of fucking six. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, something happened in this documentary that really kind of like, I don't want to say the word shocked, but I was kind of like, yeah, that's accurate. Was George Carlin's absolute nihilism towards the end of the fucking documentary. Like him being like, oh, I, I, I like watching tragedies like a sport for me. Now, how many people die this time? You know, that kind of thing. I was like, whoa. But yeah, yeah, he, he, he got dark at the end, but. I think he. I think it's like his daughter said. Right. You get dark because you do care. Yep. It's it's him being pissed, and being angry at the situation doesn't mean you don't care. Exactly. It means you do care. You're just you're just fed up, and being fed up is a form of showing that. Which is now why I get angry at the things I get angry at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about the documentary itself. No. It's, if you're a fan of stand-up comedy, if you're a fan of George Carlin, I highly recommend you check it out. It's directed by Judd Apatow. Um, uh, didn't he just do, uh, Don't Look Up? Is that, is that, or is it somebody else? I don't know. I'm looking up Don't Look Up. I might be wrong about that, though. But it's got... A lot. I'm surprised they had that much, like, interview footage. Of Adam McKay, Carlin. Yeah, I'm surprised they had that much interview footage though out of Carlin from as way back as they did. Um, yeah, there was a couple things that I had never seen before. Uh, when he, uh, oh, he was super fucking young. It was still like black and white footage. And he was having an interview with somebody, and I was like, I've never fucking seen this. There's yeah. a lot of stuff like that. That was that was really cool to see, but but yeah, yeah. If, if you like documentaries, or if you like George Carlin, if you like stand up comedy, this is highly recommended from me. I, I you know, I'll, I'll give it a fucking A. Uh, it's absolutely solid. Uh, yeah, um, Misty and I watched it together on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening from about 4 to almost 8 o'clock and I mentioned it to Greg afterwards. It's like, dude, you need to watch this Carlin documentary. He was like, what Carlin documentary? I was like, the one that just came out yesterday on HBO Max. He's like, what? I was like, want to add it to the show? He's like, yes. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I Like I said, I've, I've been a fan of Carlin from the first time I saw Seven Dirty Words. I thought that shit was some of the funniest things I had ever heard in my life. And then I had gotten the the opportunity to, to watch a lot of his uh, HBO stuff, and I yeah I was impressionable at the time, but I think it was a good impression because it gave me an insight that not a lot of people get to have, and a lot of that is primary to the fact that I happen to pay attention to things that others don't. Um, I notice things that others don't, and it felt like it was validation to hear George say it. This, this older man who's, you know, in his 60s saying the same things that I'm thinking, the same conversations I'm having with a few people, 
and it was like it was like he was he was he was there with me um but he also said things that kind of changed my perspective on some things too and i always kind of take a lot of that to heart these days um I don't, I don't want to pull a, you know, Greg meeting Matt Groening situation, but in a way he, he did shape my mind. He did in a, in a, in a, in a sense, help raise me. Um, he turned me into the person I am today. The one that cares, the one that wants change, the one that wants to see difference in people. And um, I'll always appreciate him for that. And I'll always admire him as a thinker, a philosophist, if you will but also really funny in doing it. That's how I view him. That's how I'm going to choose to view him. Um, I don't know if he'd want me to do that, but I also don't think he'd care that much. So there's that. But uh, No, what's he going to say? Nothing. <laughs> and that's a joke that George would appreciate. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. I like his bit that it showed. I think it was like in the seventies when he had the, the like the first time he did a circle stage, and he was like, uh, "You know, we do, we think about death a lot. We always have to think about death because it's an inevitability. We're all going to die. Everyone that we love is going to die. Um, but it also has different connotations because when I'm up on stage, I don't want to die. I don't want to die up here on stage. But when I make you laugh, I killed them. Like it's 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 hilarious how yeah. he used words in that fashion. I fucking love him for that. Um, and you can't forget his favorite cheer to get you pumped up and really get you going. Rat shit, bat shit, dirty old twat, sixty nine assholes tied in a knot. Hooray, lizard shit, fuck. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, I give it an A as well, um, and uh, yeah, I, I you know there's a part of me that wants to get the tattoo of um, where the title for this documentary comes from, and that's it's called the American Dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. So, yeah. love George Carlin. This documentary is fantastic. Like if yeah, uh, if you have even a little bit of love for Carlin, you're gonna want to watch this whole thing. All right. Well, let's move on to, I guess, happier things. Um, do you want to do uh, Love, Death, and Robots or Chippendale first? Well, since you said happier things, I think we should do Chippendale. There you go. All right. So, Because, let's face it, this round of Love, Death, and Robots, there wasn't much happy going on. <laughs> True. It's, there was a few funny ones. There was a, there was a couple funny oh, ones. Oh, no, there was some funny ones, but there wasn't much no. happy. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so, uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers is a, it's not, I, you can't call it a reboot because it's not a reboot of the cartoon. It's, it's not, it's, it's a completely new story involving these characters. Uh, a lot of people are comparing it to Roger Rabbit and I get why. I don't think that's a good comparison. I don't either. Now. The styling, as in, yes, live action and animation working hand in hand, yeah, that's the only similarity between it and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right, which you could also say, like, oh, this movie is very much like Looney Tunes Back in Action or Space Jam. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. Only this one was good. 
Hey, Lunchies Back in Action isn't bad. Um, like, if we're talking about bad movies, I get why Space Jam would be bad, but Lunchies Back in Action is actually fun. Because uh, it's actually actors that are acting with them. That's why that's my point. Much like this movie. Um, the, the general plot, because a lot of people have, because a lot of people take some shots out of this very out of context. And, uh, and then when, when given context, they're like, oh, that's what this movie's about. And it's very simple. Two aging stars, uh, must come together to save a friend. I know that's very vague, but that's what it is. It's, it's Chip and Dale, uh, they're, they're no longer together as a group because their show ended in 1991 or 90. No, it was 93 or 4. Yeah, because they only had three seasons. I remember that. Uh, as a matter of fact, the show utilizes that, that they that the show ended after three seasons. Uh, but yes, okay, so 94, the show ended. And they broke up, and then now it takes place in 2022. Um, but this is a world occupied by both cartoons, different types of cartoons, and humans. Um, but in this world, all the same cartoons exist that exist in our world, almost as if that universe is somehow transdimensionally giving us their cartoons. That's how, that's how you kind of have to look at it. Um, but it, it starts off with Chip in a, like a convention center, like a big, uh, like a, like a, um, a Comic-Con sort of thing. And, uh, he is... He's in a section with other tunes that nobody seems to give two flying fucks about. Uh, think of one of them being Ugly Sonic with his fucking, human teeth. Fucking hilarious cameo! Like the fact that he he's a reoccurring cameo is fantastic. Oh yeah. Uh, so it was really funny because people were confused how they were able to get away with putting Ugly Sonic in the movie because they did not get Sega or um, uh, Paramount's permission. Uh, it, was a script. it was a script use. Doesn't matter, they still own it. They still own that that version of Sonic. Yeah, but, yeah, but... By A, calling parody. him... Yeah, I was like, by A, calling him Ugly Sonic, and B, it not being the exact same design. Um, but that's also how they get away with a lot of other things within the movie that we see. Um, obviously, the Disney, you know, properties are there. You have those, but mm-hmm. there's um, there's Hasbro properties, though, and the fact that there's Nickelodeon, tra- there's Transformers in it, there's My Little Ponies in it. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, some yeah, there was Nickelodeon properties in it. Um, there's DreamWorks properties in it. There's a shot in this movie. One of the main one of the main villains, if you will, is voiced by Seth Rogen. He's a uh, he's a cartoon that lives in the uh, Uncanny Valley, which is still one of the most fucking brilliant ideas for the show because that's the valley in L.A. is like a real place, and that's where uh, Chip and Dale are in that scene when they're like, "We're in the Uncanny Valley." I was like, "Oh, that's that's fucking brilliant." Um, but Bob, like a lot of people are saying that Bob looks like the Polar Express characters, and I was like. He looks like he's literally pulled out of the movie Beowulf from 2007. Come on, people. <laughs> Let's not forget that garbage fire of a movie. Uh, well, a lot of people are making that comparison because they actually use that as an example in the movie. That's fair. 
and I I I get that, but it's also like nobody seems to remember Beowulf, and I'm like, Angelina Jolie was in that goddamn movie. <laughs> so anyway, it, that's my thought was the media, as soon as he stepped into that door frame, I was like, oh, he looks like he's from Beowulf. That was my first thought from the trailer. Uh, but yeah, they they also. Something that this movie's getting in a little bit of heat for is that their main villain, uh, Peter Pan, is actually Sweet a Pete. sort of parody of Bobby Driscoll. I don't think it's a direct parody of Bobby Driscoll, but it's definitely got a lot of similarities. But not in like a negative way. Like, I think a lot of people are taking... Do you know who Bobby Driscoll is, by the way? I was getting ready to say, for those that don't know, why don't you tell them who Bobby Driscoll is? Bobby Driscoll was the actual human boy that played Peter Pan that was there for the uh, usage of the animation. Um, when he got to... He did a lot of work when he was younger or even as a teenager, but the older he got, the less work he got because he wasn't cute anymore. He got really hard into drugs and at a point OD'd in like some fucking warehouse in L.A. And died. It's a really sad fucking story. Uh, and a lot of people are upset that the idea behind this Peter Pan looks like it's directly related to Bobby Driscoll. But I don't think that they're making fun of Bobby Driscoll. I think that this is a, a way to kind of explain how awful Hollywood can be. Um, they're just utilizing the idea behind I mean because the same thing happened to Macaulay Culkin to an extent the same thing happens to a lot of child stars we've seen it time and time again so it's not like I don't think that Bobby Driscoll is unique in that scenario to utilize to make fun of Hollywood via Peter Pan but that's my two, two, two cents on that uh, I'm trying to think of what other things because they they parody a lot. They parody a lot in this fucking movie. There's a there's a oh, bench, yeah. there's a bench ad for Beavis for Beavis not Beavis I'm sorry Butthead running for senator. Mm-hmm. He wants to stop bootlegging, but yeah, that's that's how Chip and Dale get wrapped up into this big adventure. Is they're trying to uh, save Monterey Jack, who is legit addicted to cheese as if it were heroin. Um. And uh, he can't pay his debt. And whenever a cartoon can't pay their debt, they're then collected to then turn into a, uh, a bootleg version of themselves. Um, bootlegs are a real thing in our world where uh, it's like a shittier version of what actually exists for an international market. Because sometimes they can't get those movies in an international market. So... Uh, I personally thought that was hilarious concept right there. Mm -hmm. Flounder was the first bootleg you see, and it was like it was it was pretty fucking funny. But it also reminded me of like the dip from Roger Rabbit. Well, there was a nod to that actually. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You oh, actually it. see it? <laughs> okay. There weren't very many uh, uh, Easter eggs that I didn't notice. There were a lot of Easter eggs. There was a there was an ad in the background for uh, Pork Chop and Doug Funny's uh, um, uh, law service, 
Uh, there was Johnny Bravo's uh, jam in the background. Uh, oh god, there was another billboard in the distance that you could spot. Um, but the one that was closer to the screen was Waze the movie, like Waze the the fucking um, GPS app, mm-hmm. which I thought I was just like, that's silly. That's funny though. Uh, they weren't Easter eggs so much because they were used directly in the film, but like ET versus Batman or Mr. Doubtfire or uh, yeah. Fast and Furious Babies. Yeah, those were funny. Did you spot the Gucci ad that had Dobby the, the elf on it? The house elf? Dobby? Yeah. 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 There's, there's a ton. It's sprinkled throughout the whole movie. There are a ton yeah. of IPs that they, they, they pair with. If you turn, if you blink, you're going to miss one. I need uh-huh. to rewatch it. I, I want to rewatch it just to see what I catch the second time through. I, I did um, end up rewatching because I watched it with my parents. Kind of. <laughs> that, but, uh, yeah, like it is a blink and you miss it kind of like Easter eggy movie. But uh, it's also like even if you're not watching it for that, it's legitimately a really solid fucking movie. Like it's entertaining. It's not laugh out loud. I don't think there was any moments where I legit laughed out loud other than the reveal of like Ugly Sonic. Yeah. I think I was the same way. The reveal of Ugly Sonic was hilarious. It was easily the most laugh out loud moment. I did. There's a couple parts I did chuckle, like when the polar bear, which I'm gonna assume is a parody on the Coca Cola polar bear. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> uh, when he stops and he's all he's fucking fangirling over Baloo, that was fucking funny. I did enjoy the Seth Rogen joke. About how he just voices when he voices cartoon characters. He's always the same character and the same laugh, and like here's these multiple versions of his of him voicing those exact same characters, and (laughs) you know that laugh so fucking good. I was like, that's clever. That's a really fucking clever gag right there. And and that's another thing, like that shot with uh, Pumbaa standing over him, and then and then Mantis and Bob the Blob show up. I was very much like, how did they get away with those two? Because it's not so much parody, right? Like, they're just in it. But does it count as parody? Because I don't know. I feel like they got permission from some studios. I know they didn't from Paramount or Sega for Ugly Sonic. I don't know. I don't know. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's... It was a fun movie. It really was. Um, you know, I never watched maybe one or two episodes of Rescue Rangers when I was a kid. Because it came out, I was, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th grade of high school. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So it wasn't on my radar. I was aware of it, but there were other things that I was watching uh, during its time slot. I wasn't a big fan. But when I was younger, Chip and Dale were a couple of my favorite characters. Uh, really enjoyed them. So when Greg asked, hey, do you want to watch this, review it? I was like, why not? We didn't have a lot coming out this week. And then we realized, oh, we have Love, Death, and Robots. Oh, we got a Carlin documentary, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's okay because it's an hour and like 40 minutes of your time. Yeah. 
Uh, it's, it's digestible. It's a lot of fun. It's beautifully animated. Uh, the whole, you know, Dale getting the CG surgery was hilarious. Oh, it's a great gag. It's a great fucking gag. Um, yeah, because throughout the entire movie, he's, you know, he's he's CG, uh, like full on, like realistic CG, a realistic ish, and then Dale is uh, 2D. And that was another thing that I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting about the animation style of this movie. A handful of characters that were still 2D were actually 3D models. They were just cell shaded to look 2D. And I thought that was a really clever way to do that because there are some characters that are straight up 2D. So Tigra and uh, Lumiere, straight Mm -hmm. up 2D animation. Lumiere. Lumiere. Lumiere? Lumiere? Yeah, Lumiere. Um, I thought it was, I thought there was three syllable-ish. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, he, him, and Tim and the Tigra, candlestick from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, uh, a lot of like some of the characters that are in the 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 lunchroom, like the goat that walks by the teacher who has the headphones on, and she tells them to take 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 them off. Handful 2D, straight up 2D animations. But anytime there's a character that's going to be on screen for longer than like a moment, they're 3D. They're 100% 3D. They're just cell shaded to look to a 2D, which I was like, that's fucking smart. You got to have them interact in that shot with the other 3D character being Chip. Um, so you're going to want them to be Dale. able to have their frame go around the character. Was it Dale? Oh, you're yeah, right. Dale, Dale was the one that CG. Dale was my favorite because he was the funny one. Chip was the serious one. I always get that mixed up for some reason. Um, I like the one that looked like uh, Magna P.I. But yeah, like that's something you'll also get out of me all the time when it comes to animated stuff. Like uh, it's something that I gush about with um, uh, Into the Spider-Verse. The way that they did the animation in that movie is so fucking awesome. Or uh, the Lego movie or Lego Batman movie as well. The uh, none of it is um, stop motion. Not a single moment of that movie is stop motion. What they do is they 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 literally three D scan in every single Lego piece, every single Lego piece that they're going to put into the into the movie, and then make sure that explosions and water effects are all practical stuff you could use in real life. 3D and or 3D scan it into the machine, and then they just fucking computer animated everything as if it were stop motion, making the animation mm. process a thousand times easier, but still making it look fucking awesome, oh, dude. Anyway, I'm getting off track. I just love the animation in this movie. It was really fucking well done. <sighs> anyway, um, keep gushing about animation. Again. Jesus Christ. Uh, I think that's it. I don't have anything else to say about it, so I'm just going to go ahead and give it a grade real quick. Yeah, uh, yeah go I'm, ahead. Yeah, I'm going to give this movie an A. Like, I really fucking enjoyed it. I had a great time watching it. I watched it twice. Um, I'd recommend it to anybody who just wants to have a good, fun fucking movie for an hour and a half. Yeah, no complaints here, personally. So, what's about yeah. you? Oh, I, I, I give it an A as well. It's it's full of nostalgia. Um, but not 
like for nostalgia's sake, you know, everybody's got a purpose for being there. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit for everybody in it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The story is pretty basic and pretty predictable. Uh, they even try to have one of the characters. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to spoil anything because, you know, the story is pretty straightforward. You know, try to point you and misdirect you into another direction because it seems plausible. But they go with the more predictable. Oh, really? Well, that, was this? <laughs> and even in that regard, they're self-aware and make fun of that. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I, I fucking super appreciate. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, wonderful animation. Fun soundtrack. Um, you know, great voice cast. And, yeah, it's, uh, if you got kids or if you're a fan of animation yourself. Or if you're if a man child like me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sit down give it a watch it's a good it's a good investment of your time yep i agree all right um well since i've gushed about animation and chippendale rescue rangers why don't i gush about animation with uh love death and robots um so i have each one written down here in the order that they that they showed and i have a little note next to each one and I i've actually got an episode of synopsis pulled up for each one too. Okay, well, let's go with the first one here. So if you didn't know, this is the third volume of De Love, Death, and Robots. We've done the other two. It's an anthology of, of shorts that are usually sci-fi based or horror based, um, but they usually involve one of three things, love, death, and or robots. Um, so the first one we have is Three Robots Exit Strategy, the note that I wrote down was hilarious apocalypse. Humans are the worst. This is also a direct sequel from a short in the first season. I thought it was the first short. I'm going to double check that, but go ahead and yeah, because yeah, it is. It, it's, it was it was an episode from volume one, uh, so this is a continuation of it. Yeah, no. uh, but basically they're. They're investigating no, the sites. Yeah, they're investigating sites where remnants of humanity from different societal classes tried and failed to survive the apocalypse, uh, including a primless, prim, primitive survivalist camp for the poor, an old oil rig that was refurbished into a luxury resort for the rich, and a formerly self-sustainable bunker for government officials. Um, they deduced several causes for human failure. The first is food scarcity caused by overhunting of animals to extinction, uh, triggering lethal conflicts between the poor survivalists. The second is the over-reliance on AI by the rich, which eventually backfired when it rebelled. Uh, what was that quote that that AI bartender used? Oh, shit. Uh, let me find it. Suck it, meat bucket or something like that. Because uh, she said it in such a way that made me laugh really hard. Um and she flipped the double birds as she was saying it in the cheery tone. Yeah, she'd call them meat buckets for sure. Yeah. Uh, Something like suck it, meat bucket. I know. Uh, I while you're looking that, that up, my fucking favorite thing. The the other way was the overconfidence. Choke of on government it. Of, choke choke on, on it, meat bucket. Yeah. 
choke on it, suck it, same difference. I just, yeah, but I she's like, choke on it, meat bucket. Yeah, <laughs> super fucking nice. Uh, I, the third I, wave I, was I, overconfidence I, of government officials who tried to wait out the apocalypse in a bunker only to resort to cannibalism after a fungus ravaged their hydroponic crops. Uh, final site they visit is a high-tech rocket launch base built exclusively by the Earth's richest of the elite with the far-fetched intention to quickly leave the dying planet and colonize Mars. Uh, it looks like... Uh, it, well, I'm not going to reveal the ending. No. But yeah. I loved this episode, but I hated the Elon Musk joke. Uh, which Elon Musk joke? Oh, at the end? Yeah. Really? I was, just like, I was just like, yeah, it's a little too on the fucking nose. Oh, I, 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 I would have felt that it was too on the nose if they named him when they were explaining uh, what the billionaires were doing. Um, yeah, instead of helping, but I didn't hate the joke. I didn't think it was funny, but I didn't hate it. No, no, yeah, that's what I mean. I didn't. I don't hate it. Hate it. I just didn't care for it. It wasn't. It wasn't a good joke. Uh, to where otherwise a really solid fucking episode. Yeah, I was gonna say I. I fucking I love Three Robots. That could be its own fucking show. Just them going through the apocalypse and learning about humans. And it being more of like a uh, lesson to humans about how badly they suck. That'd be fucking hilarious. Like, I, I, I'd love to watch that. But um, sadly, this is just a short that we got from uh, a second episode that we got years later. Because I don't remember two years later, three years later, something like that. Anyway, um, three. Three, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's highly entertaining. Like I love the concept. I love what they how they tell the the uh, story with these robots. It's it's super fun. Um, but yeah, that's why I wrote uh, hilarious apocalypse. Humans are the worst. Well, what did you put down for your grade? second? Oh, you, you're actually going to grade it? Yeah, I graded each one. I don't know oh, okay. One. Well, I wasn't planning on it, but yeah, go ahead. A plus. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it an A. Okay. Um, uh, what 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 was your note down for the second episode? The for, note for you bad, have down for, for bad, bad traveling. Uh, giant crab. Humans are the worst. Oh, I'm just gonna say this one is my favorite episode out of this volume. Interesting. I loved it. Loved it. Um, it was good. It was really fucking good. It was not my favorite, but was, I'll tell you which one is. I'll, I'll I'll tell you which one is my second favorite when we get to it. Okay. Uh, and my third favorite, you know. But there was one that had the best animation out of all of them, but we'll get to that too later. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this one is basically it's a ship, uh, sailing. Uh, there's hunting a type of shark and this giant crab comes aboard and starts killing the crew before it is trapped in the cargo hold down below. Uh, and they draw straws. One guy is unfortunate enough to have to go and, you know, try to kill the crab 
he goes down there and the crab's got this tentacle that it's extended from its body and it's wrapped around the throat of one of the corpses of the crew and it's manipulating the throat so it can speak very uh independence day moment like they did with brent spiner's character with the alien remember that mm-hmm. and independence day very much like that so this 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 crew member is negotiating with this apparently sentient crab and he, the crab wants passage to an island that will take approximately two days to get to but it's also hungry and it needs to be fed. And they go back up, or the crew member goes back up, presents to the crew, here's the scenario. It wants to go to this island. Everybody is going to vote on these ballots. Put an X if you say deliver it to the island. Put an O if you don't want to assist it. And, you know, just the drama unfolds from there. Yeah. Uh, Really beautifully animated. Uh, I was especially impressed with the interior of the ship and the water. The crab was truly terrifying. Uh, Yeah. It was a a horror short, straight up. Yeah. Directed by David Fincher, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I love this one. I, I would give it an A plus. What What do you have to say about it? Uh, I gave it an A minus, and the reason that I didn't give it an A plus because, like I said, it's really good. Um, it was also extremely predictable. Um, I kind of knew every beat that was going to happen before it happened. Uh, but I appreciate what I do appreciate about it is that it didn't give a fuck about being predictable. It just kind of told the story that it wanted to tell, and it moved the fuck on. Um, but I can't, I can't give something like that an A plus for Love, Death, and Robots. Because a lot of the time, I don't expect the ending to Love, Death, and Robots shorts. So um, this one, having like, I saw the method that they were going. Um, like, I was like, at the end, he's either gonna fucking sh- like crash the ship into a fucking rock area that'll destroy the ship and kill the crab or something else is going to happen. He's going to kill the crab. And he did exactly that. Um, uh, but yeah, like, like the, the whole ship turning their back on him. I saw coming like everything, which is why I can't give it an A plus. Like I just, it That's kind fair. Of just, just became so it was just, it was overly predictable because I don't usually want to give something a bad score because it's being predictable. Because if it still tells a good story, what does it matter? Yeah. But this one, this one, I saw every beat. I was like, okay. So it just kind of like it felt like it was biting off of like an old. Uh, I know it's not based off of anything old, but an old Twilight Zone episode. Kind of what it felt like. Gotcha. But uh, but yeah, like I mean, A minus isn't bad. That's not. A no, bad no, it's, it's still really good. <laughs> um. Well, episode three was called The Very Pulse of the Machine. Um, I can give you... Do you want me to give you my note? Go ahead. Um, IO exploration goes wrong. Humans can be okay, I guess. No, they can't. Um, 
So this is a pair of astronauts who are uh, on the moon of Io, which that's the moon of Jupiter. Um, they are in this explorer craft and uh, an eruption occurs. Yeah, like a six-wheeled ATV rover kind of thing. It kind of reminds me of the Mako from uh, Mass Effect. Yes, yes. It reminded me very much of the Mako from Mass Effect. Um, but there's an eruption, and it kills one of the uh, astronauts, leaving just the one alone on the surface. Uh, and her air pack is damaged. She's 43 kilometers from home base. She's 12 hours out of ComSync from being able to sync back up to radio the orbital station that she's in, uh, in trouble and needs help. So the only thing she can do is do a quick patch kit to hack into the life support air supply of her dead partner and then drag her body along while she's trying to get back to her base camp before her oxygen supply runs out. Um, she's also got a broken arm while doing this and is in a lot of pain. So she falls a couple of times and is in excruciating amounts of pain. So her suit has the ability to dispatch morphine, which causes her to hallucinate. Uh, this one was pretty trippy. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to give it away. What are your thoughts about it? I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. It's fine. Uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. I just found it to be a bit boring. Uh, I thought that the... An I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the animation when she would go into the trippy state. Uh, yeah, I wasn't either. Uh, it just kind of looked like a hodgepodge of colors. And I was like... Uh, I've, I, and, and again, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to do this like um, trans-dimensional mindset for somebody that is in that condition. And I get it. It's cool. But I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That's, you know, I think that was my issue with like, uh, that, that was my biggest issue with this one is it didn't feel original. It felt like they were just trying to um, stay safe while still being artsy-fartsy. Yeah. And I don't mind artsy-fartsy, but artsy-fartsy gets boring when I when it's when it's something that is has already been done, essentially. So, I don't know. That was that. I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't, like, awful. Like, the acting was, was fine. Um, and... Uh, it wasn't hideous. It wasn't bad to look at. It just kind of, it was there and then it wasn't there. And it's probably one of the more forgettable episodes in this, in this pack for me. Um, yeah. I gave it, I gave it a B. Okay. Well, that's pretty much what I was going to give it to is a B. Yeah. I, it okay. was, it was the, the premise presented the way they presented it I found was interesting enough I didn't make the correlation between it and 2001 a Space Odyssey though um, but you get where I'm coming from with that right I do I do 
but yeah, uh, it's still not horrible, just more on the forgettable side compared to others. Yeah. Uh, now the fourth episode, not of the mini dead flat out fucking hilarious. What did you uh, have? So my, notes? so my notes say itty bitty zombie apocalypse. Humans are the worst. Yeah. Um, basically you see, uh, and this is all done miniaturized, uh, which was fascinating and sped up very, very quickly. Um, and you see a pair of tiny horny teenagers defile a church in a cemetery at night, accidentally raising the dead and causing a zombie apocalypse. Hordes of zombies quickly overrun population centers across the planet, wiping out most of humanity. As the world devolves into anarchy, the remaining humans try to fight back, but instead give rise to mutant zombies uh, with a nu- when a nuclear power station is destroyed. Unable to stop them, the President of the United States eventually launches every nuclear missile in the American arsenal, which triggers other nations to launch their respective nuclear missiles as well. Uh, but the way it's all depicted, even though I've told you almost everything about the episode, with the exception of the final shot, which was hilarious, the way it's all depicted is great. Uh, it's very fast-paced. It's only seven minutes long with credits. So the actual animated part is maybe five and a half minutes, but totally funny. Yeah, I was uh, say, what, what, what's, what's worth it to me is that at this point in our media consumption, um, I've seen so much zombie shit. It takes something special to really like get me. This did it. This absolutely did it. Um, I know. I know where things go when it comes to zombie stories, and this short said, "You do, but does it matter? Because it's funny." And I was like, no, it doesn't matter because it's funny. It's uh, that's that's I think where the charm for this comes out is it's like, it's just a little silly and a little funny, and you're just kind of like, I can just go with this. I can just have fun with this because, who cares at the end? Um, but I think the ending also was very adamant to the idea of like, hey, humans, you aren't as important to the universe as you think. <laughs> so I love that little message at the end. But um, yeah, I gave it an A plus. I fucking oh yeah yeah absolutely three times (laughs) i i echo that one um a plus is fucking phenomenally well done yeah uh now this next one kill team kill is this the one you thought had the best animation out of all of them no no wow all right Um, so uh i love the animation in it but my notes say uh uh, 80s big angry robot bear humans are the worst um no that's not this one t- kill team kill oh yeah yes it is i was thinking of a different one i was thinking of i was thinking of the other one uh episode eight sorry yeah okay no yeah no this was that no this was the big angry bear yeah the big angry uh, bear <laughs> fucking funny yeah i love this one so much so apparently seth green was one of the voices so was Steve Bloom. Oh my God. I had the fucking list up. Joel McHale, Seth Green, Gabriel Luna, Steve Bloom, and Andrew Cushino. Yeah. Fucking hilarious that they did this. 
so it's a team of Green Berets led by Sergeant Nielsen. They're sent to investigate mysterious killings, only to come face to face with a cybernetically enhanced grizzly bear. Ah, it's a honey badger. <laughs> My favorite thing also about this this bear is that it was explained in canon with the story that uh, it was it was created by the CIA, but they didn't know why, or it was classified or something like that because you never really hear why, and. Um, because fuck uh, you, that's why. Yeah, because fuck you, that's why. And uh, it is straight 80s style. Like, every single character that's in this is a parody of a fucking character that's in the first Predator movie. Oh, yeah. And I love it. It's like a cross between G.I. Joe and Predator. <laughs> so fuck, dude. Uh, the, the squad, they lose some of their members before uh, they're rescued by another soldier. Uh, he explains that the bear was developed as part of a secret CIA experiment to develop advanced military weapons, but went rogue. They returned with him back to the secret underground base to find its inhabitants massacred. And that whole, like, I don't think it, you left it like this, did you? <laughs> and he was like, nope, sure didn't. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh they plan to lure the bear, but miscalculate its position inside the base. And after an ambush that costs more, costs the lives of Morris, uh, Nelson and a couple of his members managed to take down the bear with extra armaments. But then the ending. Yeah. It was spoil it. No, 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 it's, it's so fucking good though. Like, uh, that also got an A plus out of me, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. For the humor alone. For tell the humor. my wife. Tell my wife. Tell, tell my wife. I, yeah, anything, anything. You got it. I fucked her sister. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in this was exaggerated, too, which I loved. I was like, oh, my God, that death was so exaggerated. Yeah. So good. Oh, man. So, but yeah, that one, that one's worth your fucking time. What do you have for uh, episode six, Swarm? Uh, space hive aliens. Humans are the worst. You know, humans really are the fucking worst. Yeah, let us um, yeah, yeah. I wonder why. We fucking suck. Um, so, Dr. Simon Afriel arrives as a part of a two-year research mission to an alien star system inhabited by an insectoid race referred to only as the Swarm. Uh, joining with another human researcher, Galena, uh, the two explore the swarms of uh, the Swarm Hive's inner workings, which are composed of multiple castes and other alien species absorbed into the Hive, each playing a specific role in maintaining the Swarm Hive's ecosystem. Uh, Afriel's true goal for his research is revealed to obtain and exploit the swarm's genetic information, pairing it with artificial pheromones to create a new, more, more subservient swarm to help humans expand. Despite initial disapproval, Galena uh, chooses to assist him as long as the nest remains unharmed. As time passes, the two become increasingly intimate. The experiments, however, trigger a hostile response from the hive, which forms a new, supremely intelligent cast. Referring only to itself as Swarm, 
It explains how the hive absorbed intelligent species deemed as threats in the past and reduced them to symbiotic species, planning to do the same with humans. Uh, and then, yeah, the conversation, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the, the the thing I noticed about this was that, you know, humans do what they do best and is try to take control of a situation that they don't have any control over in the beginning. Um, and it, 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 you know, thankfully backfired for the humans in this scenario. Um, it was, uh, it was really well done. I loved the, the, uh, essentially the, the creature design on this one. Like, yeah, the creature design was fucking fascinating. Yeah. Like give somebody carte blanche on making aliens and you'll get some fucking awesome things. Again, and I cannot stress this enough, why the fucking casino scene in Last Jedi is one of my favorite shots in that whole fucking movie. Um, it's just so cool. Just freeze frame it on that. Look at the alien designs. It's cool. Uh, but I found this to be one of the more boring episodes. No, I agree. Um, I don't think it was all that great. Uh, I think that the point it tried to raise with the philosophy uh, or the philosophical um, challenge, if you will, that the swarm made to Afriel uh, was all that deep or anything. I just it was super heavy-handed. Yeah, how light it was. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, this one shines for its animation and creature design, and. Yeah. The actual premise of this swarm is pretty cool, right? And the cast systems of everything working in it, working within it, it's just the payoff wasn't there for it, which is yeah. why I only gave this episode like a B. Uh, yeah, I gave it a B as well. Um, it's gorgeous, it's genuinely gorgeous to look at. Uh, I think that's what kept me in it. I was just like, man, everything in this looks fucking beautiful. And then it got towards the like second half of it, and I'm like, okay, I'm about to take a nap. And then it got to that ending, and I was like, oh, I'm a little bit more interested. And then I was like, slowly waning off that interest. Yeah. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, it's not it's not terrible, but it's I'm not going to remember it when we talk about season or volume four. I'll tell you that much. Like, it's going to be gone. Now, what do you think about the seventh episode, Mason's Rats? The note that I gave was primitively intelligent rat, rats fight back. Humans are the worst. Um, uh, it was fine. I, I mean, I enjoyed it to an extent. There were a couple moments that really made me laugh, um, especially towards the end with the like scorpion robot. Uh, yeah. Um, but it also like it kind of did this thing where it was like they're intelligent enough. So I kind of felt bad for that for like, I, I felt bad. And I was like, Oh, I don't think maybe I should have laughed at that. <laughs> like, it's yeah. Kind of yeah. Uh, th this one was pretty amusing for me. Uh, so basically the premise is, is like a future version of Scotland. A farmer named Mason is distressed to discover that his barn, the rats in his barn are using tools, uh, presumably from, presumably from devouring the genetically modified grain crops, and they start attacking him with crossbows. 
and firing little tiny crossbow bolts at him. And he's like, Jesus Christ. Um, so he enlists the services of a high-tech uh, company called Trap Tech Pest Control. And he installs pulse lasers into his barn. They do their job well enough, but eventually the rats discover the weaknesses and are able to disable and destroy the pulse lasers, to which he requires an upgrade. So, you know, he gets a scorpion-like mobile assault robot, which does its job pretty well until the rats manage to fight back and they fucking, you know, made like a little makeshift tank and are fighting this robot. Um, what's great though is, is this robot's killing these rats. It's just taking and disposing the corpses into that little corpse pile of rats by the fucking house. That was <laughs> and pretty then, funny. And then the fucking three rats that are trying to run away and it snatches the ones, you know, knocks it straight up in the air and then it just unloads these laser gatling cannons into it to where there's nothing left but its fucking head and a pile of blood. Yeah. And it just carries the head over there and drops it in there. Oh my god. Fucking hilarious. It but yeah. I didn't like the ending though, to be honest with you. The ending was kind of weird. Uh, you know. I mean, I have I have an idea of how I would have liked to seen it end, but that's a spoiler, so. Yeah, how okay. I mean, we'll not spoil it because yeah. it's still oh, still we'll worth checking to- out. Yeah, I was like, we'll talk after we done recording. Um, but I gave it a I gave it a B plus. Um, I didn't like it as much as you did, clearly. Uh, but it's not like I liked it. I liked no, it. No, I, well I gave it an A minus. You know, I yeah, enjoyed it. Real close to each other. <laughs> uh, now this, oops, this next one. Uh, and vaulted halls entombed. Is the that note the that, one I... that you think had the best animation? Nope. Oh, okay. So you're going with the last one. Uh huh. Um, it. Well, the, when we get to the last one, you'll be surprised by my score, considering I'm saying that. Um, Maybe not. Invaulted to invaulted halls. The invaulted halls entombed. Um, I the note that I gave was Bravo team versus ancient forces. Humans aren't the worst, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> all right, so we've got a squad of Marines that have been sent to rescue a hostage from insurgents. They follow the insurgents deep into these mountain tunnels, and they find the hostages and the insurgents' bodies eaten by a swarm of mysterious spider-like creatures. Uh, the squad loses three of their members to the swarm, leaving the squad leader... Uh, uh, Sergeant Coltard and Coltard and Harper uh, as the only two survivors. The duo finds a glowing light and follows a mysterious sound deeper into a chamber, revealing it to be a prison uh, containing a gigantic eldritch deity. The deity induces visions of world destruction on the Sergeant and Harper, convincing the Sergeant to release it, forcing Harper to kill him. Uh, never, then, never says its name. Not one time does it say its name, but we all know who it was. <laughs> oh, it's fucking Cthulhu. Yeah. 
I mean, it literally has the fucking giant webbed wings. It has the fucking tentacle face and the yeah. pointed head. It is fucking Cthulhu, hundred percent. Yeah, this one. Uh, this one starred uh, Joe Mangian- uh, Manganiello. How do you fucking say his name? Oh, um, Joe Manganiello. Blah. Manganiello. Joe. Manganiello. Joe. Yeah, him. Uh, Christian Serratos, and then uh, Fred Tetz. Tedescore? Yeah. So Fred Tedescore does um, Bender and uh, uh, Marcus Phoenix from uh, Gears of War and hundreds of other characters. He's a Hulk at one point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This one was a lot of fun. I, I love it. It was, this one. It, was, it was dark. I really liked it, and I loved the ending. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to say what happens at the end. No. Nope, we've nope, given nope. arguably too much. Uh, oh, because, I agree. But yeah, well, yeah, it's that was a surprise to see. Like, I hate that we kind of spoiled that little bit with with Cthulhu. Um, it, it that because that was a little bit of a surprise for me. It was like I was like, what the fuck is down there? And the second I saw that, I was like, ah. <laughs> which it should have clicked because the phrase in in vaulted, uh, in vaulted halls entombed is straight up like written as if it were uh hp lovecraft like 100 written like him so i was like i should have fucking seen that coming but i didn't i totally didn't but i also liked how fucking gruesome this one was too yeah yeah me too it's fantastic um i gave this one an a plus uh i just gave it an a but this one was probably my probably my second favorite. What was your favorite? Oh, you said your favorite was the. Uh, my favorite was Bad yeah. Traveling. Yeah, Bad Traveling. This one was my favorite. second favorite. I would say my third favorite was probably Kill Team Kill. Uh, my favorite's probably Team Kill. Kill Team Kill and then and then Tiny Zombies. I can't remember the fucking name of that one for some reason. That one was pretty awesome too. Uh, you'll notice with me, I'm very different than Maya. Um, I usually pick the ones that are comedy based as my favorites. But then again, my favorite cartoon as a kid was Freakazoid, so take that for what you will. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This one just it's fucking it's it's beautifully animated, um, in a very dark fashion. It has a couple twists in it and turns that are just fucking rad. I absolutely adored it. So. And then we have one final episode, Jabaro. Uh, what did you have for your note? Uh, screaming gold late robot lady. Nope, humans are still the worst. All right. So. so this follows a group of conquistadors and priests as they stop their trek deep in the jungles of Puerto Rico. And a mysterious woman-like creature draped in gold and jewels emerges from a nearby lake. Uh, With her siren-like call, she sends the entire group into a frenzy, causing them to kill each other before luring them to their deaths, drowning in the deep waters. But one of the knights, uh, he's a deaf knight, Jabaro, he's unaffected by her and manages to escape in a panic. 
the golden siren stalks Jabaro and even sleeps next to him at night. When he awakens and realizes her presence, they become infatuated with each other. After a chase ensues between the two, they begin a violent dance and embrace and a kiss. Uh, I'm not going to say too much else about the way that it ends, but let's just say it's kind of fucked up. Uh, the animation in this one was by far the best in the entire series. Oh, yeah. Um, the animation was fucking stellar. It's unbelievably beautiful. Um, like, I don't know if they used a different program than everybody else or if they just took extra time because the detail is insane. It's all CGI. The, the, the water, the fucking gold flakes, everything looks fucking real. And it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's, it's insane. Um, yeah, by far the best, like the most, the, the, the bestly, the bestly, the best animated thing in the entire pack. That being said, I'm giving it a B. <laughs> uh, yeah, the story wasn't all that great. Yeah, I, I, I didn't care too much for the story. It was okay. Um, kind of forgettable. Yeah. Um, in fact, I gave it a B minus. That's fair. Uh, it's just kind of boring, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it was. I was more like enthralled with the animation in the first five minutes, and then it went on for another three, and I was like, uh huh. Okay, and then it went on me. for another ten. Was it a twenty-minute short? It was a 17-minute short. Oh, my God. I must have fell asleep halfway through, I guess. Well, you could have fallen asleep halfway through and woken up about a third of the way later and wouldn't have missed shit. <laughs> I remember the whole thing. I remember every beat and detail and whatnot, but, like, my mind just keeps going back to the gorgeous animation, and that's it. It's, uh... It's wild, too, because it, it really does feel like they really wanted to tell the super artsy farsy story and put more of their time and effort into the animation than the actual story. Yeah. Cause I get it. I get, like, and I know a lot of people would say like, Oh, maybe you just didn't understand it. No, I, I totally get it. I totally understand everything. Uh, and, and, uh, humans are the fucking worst. Uh, and everything looks really pretty. I don't know what else to say. Also, I don't know if you remember from season one. Um, do you remember the one called The Witness? It was... What was it about? Um, it was like a girl in a, in a hotel room, and she sees like a murder for, uh, across the street in another hotel yeah, room. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy chases her. Same team. Okay, same animation team. Yeah. Um... Same writer, I think. Double check that. I already closed the tab out, or I would look. I know I'm doing it right now. Well, uh, yep, yep, same director, same writer, yep. The exact same team that did that one, yeah. So kind of wild, and I I remember the, the witness being like fucking beautiful to look at, and also okay story. Yeah. So. Kind of tracks, I guess. I don't. I don't know what else to say about this one, really. Like we said, I mean, there's no, yeah, without spoiling it, and 
you know, it's worth watching once. All of them are worth watching at least once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are worth watching multiple times. Agreed. But that's what I love about anthology shows like Love, Death, and Robots is that you get you get different stories. You get a bunch of different ideas and concepts. It's like it's like having Game Pass. There was an article recently about how people are getting rid of Game Pass because they're getting fatigued that there's nothing coming out on Game Pass. But this would negate all of the indie games that come out on Game Pass. If you're just playing it for fucking AAA games, yeah, you're not getting your money's worth because a AAA game comes out every once in a while. But they put every single week a bunch of new indie games on there that you might enjoy. And if you aren't watching Love, Death, and Robots because you feel like you're not getting your money's worth as all of these are short, independently made shows or uh, animations, you're missing it. You're missing out entirely. That might have been the most convoluted fucking analogy that I've ever given in my life, but it works. Um, yeah, the, the, the concept that you can watch each season in the length of time that it takes to watch a movie and you have in season one, it's a lot. It's like eighteen. Well, season hours. one, season one, there was like seventeen or eighteen fucking episodes, but some of them were only five to eight minutes long. Some were, you know, I think thirteen minutes was the overall average runtime for each one if you broke it down. But you know, nothing tremendous. This season, I think the longest one was twenty-one minutes, and the shortest one was six. Yeah, it's oh, dude, I, I love it. I can't like every six months we get eight to nine new shorts, and I'm always excited. I'm always excited. Granted, I did forget the date of the one that was <laughs> that we reviewed for this because Maya had to remind me, but I knew it was coming out. <laughs> Just forgot when. This is also what irritates me about people like deleting their fucking uh, Netflix account is that they're just like, nah, I would rather delete my Netflix account because of one stand-up special, um, and completely like (laughs) negate myself. Maybe maybe two now. Yeah. (laughs) I you know I haven't watched it, but I read what he said. Didn't come across as that bad to me. And that's the thing that I keep telling people this about comedians. You wonder really want to make a comedian like get upset a comedian? Don't laugh at their jokes. Don't talk about them. That's that's what really hurts them. But anyway, um, I mean, like literally talks about that in the George Carlin special. People stopped talking about him, and it was it hurt him. Like it mm-hmm. physically, it like not physically, it mentally hurt him. So he had to change his shit. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, but. Uh, also, people we we're going to be we're going to be busy the next few weeks. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we got a lot coming out this next month. Um, this also, next like, week we, alone. Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, both of us watched uh, Jackass four point five over mm-hmm. the week as well. So, um, and you're missing out if you get rid of your Netflix account because of a couple comedians. You just, you know. You're hurting yourself. And I know that, like, the owner of Netflix is kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, well, so is the fucking people who own Chick-fil-A, but doesn't stop you from going there, does it? Um. Anyway, I'm going to get off my high horse. Uh, 
So uh, what would you give the whole season? What grade? I'd give it an A- minus overall. I, I think I align with you on that. I really do. Like, it was fun. Had a lot of good stuff, but... Yeah, it was more strong than it wasn't, but the ones that weren't as strong pull it down because they just were so forgettable. Yeah, I agree. Though this season did have a lot more funny than last season. Uh Uh-huh. Last season had a lot more horror. Horror. But, yeah, you know, give people fucking small budgets to animate shorts. You'll get some good shit. Uh, yeah, that's it. I think that's it for us this week. Um, should probably wrap up because it's going to be close for me to. Yeah, it's 10 to 4 here. And I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry too. Um, all right, everybody. So, uh, next week we're going to be reviewing the first two episodes of the Obi Wan Kenobi show. Um, is it three? I thought it was two. No, two drop Friday, and then the rest of the episodes air normally on Wednesdays for the rest of the season. So we'll have three episodes by the time we record. Uh, All right. Um, Okay, so three episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, And then uh, Stranger Things Season 4 Part 1, which consists of seven Seven hour-long episodes that have approximately 5 to 15 extra minutes on each episode. Uh, good Lord. It's a lot of content this next week. Um, yeah. We will likely not be adding anything extra considering it's going to take me all week to get through Stranger Things. Um, no, we're not adding anything extra. We're just flat out not. You know, this is not going to happen. Uh, I don't care if, I don't care if the Pope blows bottle rockets out of his fucking asshole on the fucking balcony of the Vatican and hits Steve-O in the nuts with it. We're not watching it. I got. I. I have to disagree with you on that one. <laughs> I'd pay. I'd pay money to see that. Well, we're not adding it to the podcast to review. That's, That's fair. What I'm saying. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, all right, everybody. Make sure you follow all the socials listed down below. Uh, we'll keep you updated if we add it. Well, okay, like I just said, we're not going to. I'm reading my notes because I forget things. Um. Uh, but yeah, if if we do talk about anything or need like I don't know, go to follow us on social media. Uh, check out our Teespring stores where you can find a t-shirt or you can find you can find merch like a t-shirt or a pint glass or a mug, coffee mug, so you can see our faces every morning. Um, or just some stickers, which I'm gonna actually buy some stickers because I have a new water bottle that can put a bunch of stickers on it, like it's an insulated water bottle. It's pretty cool. It's all blue and whatnot, so I need to buy some stickers. Uh, and all proceeds that go directly into the podcast. Also, if you do buy something and you uh, want us to know about it, hit us up on social media. Send us a, send us a picture. We'll, we'll uh, you know show it and say thanks and tell you that you look pretty. Um, at least I will. I can't I can't say that for Maya though. So I don't speak for her. I just speak for the company. Uh, she's just staring at me like he's going off kilter again. Uh, to watch the live video of this podcast, head on over to our YouTube channel. That link is also below. And if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, head on over to the Nirvana Network. So you'll find a bunch of different shows with different opinions, different people, uh, all nerdy, all geeky shit, because they're 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 fun. Fun people like geeky stuff. Um, but that link is also below. Uh, 
that's it for my notes. My working folks find you. Oh, they've heard it a week in and week out. They know where to find me by now. But just in case you're a new listener and you haven't, and you're interested in wondering how you can follow me in other places, uh, and you made it this far into the show, uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name, Maya Dawn Fisher. It's a public profile. And it also has my Twitter and Instagram accounts linked to that Facebook page. So it's a one-stop shop where you can follow me on everything. If you want to catch me on other shows, uh, you can occasionally catch me on the Figure Bangin' pod, uh, podcast, which is a live action figure review podcast on the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel every other Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And that's everywhere you can find me. What about you, Greg? Uh, you can find me on uh, Chub Rock Geek under all socials. Um, I do solo reviews on uh, the uh, the YouTube channel. Um, I actually want to do one here soon on something. I don't remember what it was. I have to make notes and actually record it for that to be a thing. Um, but yeah, I've done a few reviews over there, so go check that out. Uh, I will no longer be talking about the podcast with Anthony. Uh, him and I had this long discussion the other day, and we're done. We're done doing the podcast. He's going to do his own thing with his VTuber stuff, and and I'm off on my doing my own thing. So, uh, that that ship has sailed. So, um, but you know, not all good things do come to an end. So that's that. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, fuck the GOP. Fuck the NRA. Donate and help where you can. We have those links down below, and we'll see you next week. Also, a couple days early, but. Happy Pride Month. Take care, everybody. Why is it not ending? <laughs> <laughs>